Ellen here, and you're listening to The Growth Tribe. Holy shit, you guys. Welcome back to The Growth Tribe podcast, and I am so excited for you guys to hear today's interview. I put a call out on one of the Remote Year Slack channels to see if there were any people who were interested in being guests on this podcast. And I got an influx of interest from the Remote Year community, and I'm so grateful for that. And one of the very first interviews, I actually think the first interview that I did with all of these people that said they were interested was with Dr. Laura Galler. And you guys, this woman is going to change the world, in my opinion. I am so excited for you to hear all that she has to talk about. And we really, really dug deep into a lot of things that so many people struggle with. Defensiveness, you know, self, uh, self-accountability, self-awareness. And Laura gives some very, very tangible advice and some ways in which to tackle defensiveness, emotional intelligence, and ultimately how you can find your edge in both your work and your life by tapping into some of these things. So I am so freaking pumped for you guys to hear this. It's one of my favorite interviews I have done thus far in the Growth Tribe podcast, and I am pumped for you to hear it. So with that, let's get into it, talking finding your edge in life and work with Dr. Laura Galher. Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Growth Tribe podcast. I am here coming at you with another interview, all the good interviews rolling in lately. And today I am talking to Dr. Laura Gallagher. And we decided pre-interview that I'm gonna be Master Ellen for this episode. So we've got Master Ellen and Dr. Laura (laughs) coming at you today. And we're gonna be talking all the things. Can I just say how excited I am to have you? Because man, that message you sent me self like defensiveness self-awareness oh my god so excited so thank you for being here oh thank you for having me i'm really excited too it's gonna be great master yes. ellen <laughs> master ellen so to get started can you tell us a little bit about your background and kind of your life so far yeah um well so i'm from the states and i studied psychology um as you know i started traveling around the world this year and um yeah that's like my super short version no um (laughs) okay i can say a little bit more than that so i'm an organizational psychologist and i am somebody like you alluded to i am somebody that is obsessed with Mm self-awareness for myself and for other people so my, my main mission in life, the main thing that I do is I work with executives to help them become more self-aware. Because as you can imagine, when you have an executive in an organization, as they become more self-aware and they drop the defenses they didn't even know they had, they become these amazing leaders and that can transform the culture of an organization. So that's my passion. That's what I love to do. Um, although, so yeah, organizational psych, which means I work with organizations, but really like I... I would be so thrilled to bring this type of content to anybody anywhere in the world. And that's actually what I'm kind of trying to do this year is take this stuff to the internets and uh, <laughs> figure out that whole world. video filming you <laughs> talked about earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do these videos every week, um, put out new content. It's a lot to keep up with, but yeah, I'm doing brand new content every week, like teaching a concept or using micro learning. So that whole online business that's been taking over my life this year and <laughs> traveling the world. Since I'm not, you know, face to face with these executives, I'm mm-hmm. creating another avenue for them. 
them to learn from me. Nice, very nice. And I thank you for defining organizational psychology because I, I kind of thought that's probably what it meant. But yeah, having that nice yeah. definition. And oddly enough, I watched a TED Talk this morning that it's very related to that. I was listening to this TED Talk about emotional intelligence. Uh, he talked about the fact that like as people get promoted through corporate cultures, there's like you kind of get a peak in empathy essentially around like the managerial status. And then as you get to the, the CEOs and whatnot, you kind of start to lose that. So the fact that you this is something you're kind of trying to bring back into the executives, as you were explaining that, I kind of was like, oh my gosh, this is so related to that random TED talk I watched this morning. It is, yeah. And emotional intelligence is highly, highly related, I would say, to a lot of the work that I do because mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it was like Goldman's framework of emotional intelligence, but that whole concept of not only being aware of my emotions, but having the capacity to effectively regulate them. And mm -hmm. then also to be aware of other people's emotions and respond effectively. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, a lot of that is core to what I do as well in terms of self-awareness and empathy. Mm -hmm. How did you get into the more organizational side of psychology? Was that originally what brought you into psychology or was there something in your education that kind of piqued that interest? So I, no, I wanted, I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be a shrink first, actually. <laughs> I was like pre-med. And then this is where I feel extremely blonde. Um, at a certain point when I was pre-med in college, I was like, oh, med school, that's medicine. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Um, I, <laughs> psychiatry is not what I wanted to do. Um, I, think that, I think it has its place, but I just personally didn't want to be involved in prescribing drugs for people mm -hmm. to help them improve their lives. I wanted to better understand people and help things that I felt are more at the core. So help them understand their own thoughts and beliefs that are driving their behavior and then help them realize that they can create whatever story they want with their life. Mm -hmm. So then I thought I would just go into counseling, but I became obsessed with basically social psych, anything to do with how people perceive each other and how we tend to modify our behavior depending on who's around. I just became completely fascinated with that. And that's called social psychology. So I thought, okay, cool. I'll become a social psychologist. But there's not a lot of work for a social psychologist unless I want to be a professor. Um, mm -hmm. And I did not really want to be a professor. I love teaching, but not in an academic institution. So somebody said, well, there's this thing called organizational psychology, and you can study anything you want as long as you add at work at the end of it. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, yes, this sounds like it's right for me. So I applied to a bunch of PhD programs, ended up in Florida, and then I was two years into this very like research heavy, research focused program, when the chance to work for NASA came up um, and I said, yes, please, I will do that. So, and that was a really, it was a pretty intense way to start my career actually, because mm -hmm. um, a lot of people remember in 2003, the space shuttle Columbia disintegrated upon re-entry, mm -hmm. killing all the astronauts on board. So of course they did a big investigation um, and besides all of the, the technical factors that contributed to the tragedy, they said that there were some very big cultural and decision-making determinants as well. So they did this whole year and a half long initiative to really help leaders identify how they can shift with it. They're showing up so that we don't have this kind of cultural impact again. But the center director said, we can't just spend a year on this. Like this needs to be constant and continuous. We're constantly creating new leaders. We have to always be developing. And so Dr. Philip Mead said, yeah, what you're describing is called organization development. Uh, I can start that for you. So he hired me and two other organizational psychologists to come in mm -hmm. and we got to actually create that foundation of organization development at Kennedy Space Center. 
So for about eight years, I was working with the leaders there to help them transform culture. And one of the biggest things we were focused on was creating a culture of psychological safety. So in short, and I, I don't ever like to blow past this too much because I don't like people to judge and misunderstand what was happening at NASA. Mm -hmm. But there was so much pressure around like schedule and budget that, and there were elements of organizational design, that just the way that NASA as a system was operating at that point in time, a lot of minority opinions were being suppressed and people actually got to the point where they started to fear for their careers if they spoke up too strongly for what they believed in. So even though they had data to suggest that it would be catastrophic to have the shuttle re-enter the atmosphere, I mean, they're always looking at a million things, right? Every single mm -hmm. mission. But they did have data to suggest this, but it kind of, it was just sort of brushed over. They assumed it would be okay. Um, it was an anomaly, but there was like a normalization of anomaly because foam was constantly falling off. Anyway, so I was primarily focused on helping leaders to yeah, drop defensiveness and create the kind of space where people can speak up and not be afraid that, especially if they're raising issues of safety, that it's going to harm their career to say something, mm -hmm. right? And so this was like a, one of the main items on a culture survey that we were administering every, every year or two to see like, how are we doing? How are we progressing? Which leaders are really struggling to create this kind of environment? How can we go in there and help them improve? Mm -hmm. Well, props to NASA for like recognizing though, that this is a, a problem within our organization. Cause just as you're talking about it, you know, I, I came from an academic background, you know, prior to this year, I only came out of academia, academia about two years ago. And I see these problems in academia. I know so many people who see these problems in corporate culture. Like, yes. this is, this is a thing everywhere. So yes, the fact I, that I really recognize that, like, that's huge for them. It is. Well, and, you know, unfortunately, it was literally life and death for NASA. Mm -hmm. Not for most organizations, but you're absolutely right. This kind of stuff happens everywhere. People mm -hmm. withhold information and communication constantly. Mm -hmm. And it's not even usually because they're terrified that it means they're going to get fired or that they're not going to get that promotion they want or it's going to affect their bonuses. It's like teeny tiny little interpersonal fears mm -hmm. that keep people from just being fully open with their thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. um, so openness is actually one of the first things that I always teach to people um, mm -hmm. in terms of what does that actually mean and how can you be more open um, in a way that's effective and truly keeping it about you rather than just like spouting opinions. Mm -hmm. That's what some people think I mean by openness, but no, openness is I'm going to be open about my own experience. Mm -hmm. I'll be open about my thoughts. I'll be open about my feelings. I'm going to create space for you to have your own thoughts and your own feelings. And we're going to co-create something together. So those are the types of concepts and skills that I work to teach people to really kind of transform culture. Cause yeah, mm -hmm. this happens everywhere. Projects yeah. fail all the time. Usually people just, they don't usually die from it. So NASA obviously had a tremendous amount of um, visibility with this accident. And mm -hmm. of course, I mean, everybody at the agency was completely heartbroken by this. I mean, it mm -hmm. really, really affects them. People that I know that worked there at the time, still tear up when they talk about it like there's no there's no callousness in that organization mm -hmm. so they really want to do whatever they can it's just a matter of dealing with this human condition that we all have of our tendency to be defensive um, and not necessarily get the results that we hope to get mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and now you have the ability to i mean you did that for nasa and now you have your company so you have the ability to do that and share this content and this information with, with everybody. So can you kind of talk a little bit about how you went from NASA to ultimately where you are now with your Gallagher Edge? 
<laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. So I, I started the company um, in 2013 and I was actually still working for NASA. So I just kind of thought like, oh, let's do some coaching on the side. Because at the time I was really loving things at NASA. Mm -hmm. um, and then things kind of started to pick up with the business and I didn't think that I could sustain both. Mm -hmm. And honestly, things at NASA weren't quite as fun for me. I actually moved up really quickly. And the mm -hmm. higher up in the organization I got, the less autonomy I had, which was very strange for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was basically like an entrepreneur at NASA. I didn't know that was a thing at the time, mm -hmm. but I totally was. Like I, I helped build up organization development. I was literally like making brochures, writing copy for the website, doing internal marketing, networking. So I, I developed all these skills and had all this experience from working internally that I could then apply to external. Mm -hmm. um, but the first time I took the leap, I didn't do it very well. So I left NASA in January of 2014. I took a couple teaching jobs because I was afraid of not making money. Mm -hmm. um, so scarcity mentality definitely hurt me in that way. And within a few months, I was offered a job at Disney. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> I was like, I could do my own business anytime. Let me do this NASA or sorry, let me do this Disney gig for a while. You say you go from NASA to Disney, that's NASA like, Disney. Yeah. wow. <laughs> I, and you know, they loved to joke about how the talent management consulting work that I was doing wasn't rocket science. Like, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I know. But it was, yeah, it was cool. It was very cool and very different actually to go from NASA and then work for Disney. And I was still teaching. So I was working for Disney and I was teaching and I still had clients coming to me because the work of business development I've been doing for the last year and a half was paying off. Uh -huh. Clients were rolling in. Um, actually, one of the coolest things that I learned for myself is when I'm not afraid, I can like, I can sell so much better. Yeah. So I was like, eh, I don't even know if I really want these gigs, you know, with my own business at this point, because now I've got this full-time job. And so I started just asking for more money and they didn't even blink. They were like, okay. I'm like, oh, look at that. So I only lasted at Disney for about a year um, mm -hmm. because things were, again, they were going pretty well with my business and I didn't have like, nearly the level of freedom and autonomy that I wanted to have. Disney is a giant, giant machine. They do a lot mm -hmm. of things really, really well. Um, I think I just felt like, you know, I need freedom and mm -hmm. I want to just break out of there, fly like a bird. I don't know. So, um, <laughs> in, so in 2015, that's when I really started to focus just on my business. Mm -hmm. And I was mostly working with tech companies at first in the Orlando area. Um, and then I just kind of like pinballed into all these other industries and was working with companies that were growing and scaling. And mm -hmm. these people issues were starting to get in the way. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like four guys in a garage and it's super fun and culture's great. Like now there are 25 people and things are a mess and they're trying so hard to not be corporate, but mm -hmm. without any organization, things are falling apart and they have to lay people off. So mm -hmm. then they hire me to come in and I help them bring the balance they're looking for where they can actually simultaneously drive culture and have the kind of effective organizational structure and design that they want. Mm -hmm. So did some of your experiences then in, in NASA and, and Disney and some of these early clients kind of inform your, I was having way too much fun checking out your website and I loved your core values that were on your website of power of choice, progress over perfection and uninhibited teamwork. Uh, could you elaborate a little on what inspired those as some of your foundational values of your company? Yes. Uh, in 2009, I participated in a program called the Human Element, and it changed my life. And that can sound a little cultish and stuff, but I don't really care. That I say that all the time, so I don't even <laughs> care. <laughs> it changed my life. So I was 27 years old, and I, I went into this five-day workshop, and I was feeling great. I was feeling great about myself. I was feeling great about life, you know, had a great job, had a great boyfriend, was working on my PhD, 
you know, not quite done yet, but like, yeah, life's great. I feel great. By the end of those five days, I felt like a shell of a human. I felt like somebody had picked me up like a puzzle box and just shook all the pieces. And I just, I felt like a complete wreck. So you're probably thinking, wow, Laura, that sounds great. Um, well, I'm just kind of thinking it's like the opposite of what people usually say when they come out of seminars. <laughs> like, I felt so fired up. And you're just like, no, I felt yeah. the opposite of that. <laughs> it, it, what it did for me is it rocked the foundation of my entire self-concept. So like you, you alluded to defensiveness earlier. I've mentioned it before. We have a very limited view of what defensiveness means. We tend to think of it being somebody just pointing a finger and blaming or standing with their arms crossed and being like, right? No, defensiveness shows up in all kinds of ways. In fact, when we talk about someone's quote unquote personality traits, a lot of what shows up in someone's quote unquote personality, I don't really like that word if you can't tell, is <laughs> actually just like defensiveness that's so baked into their being. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so at the end of those five days, I, I definitely felt fragile, but it created space for me to put myself back together in a way that was actually so much stronger. Like defensiveness is rigidity. So you just picture somebody kind of getting like really rigid and like, mm, Mm -hmm. in terms of how they show up in the world. And so for me, I was kind of like shattered. And then I was able to come back together in a way where I was more flexible and more open. And mm -hmm. so simple things, like people found it difficult to give me feedback. I had emotional reactions to getting feedback. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was a complete and total perfectionist. And so the idea that I didn't nail something completely perfectly every time and then somebody give me feedback about how I could do something better. On the surface, I'd be like, oh, yes, I want feedback. I want to learn. I want to grow. But it would, like, crush my soul. Mm -hmm. Even for something ridiculous, like, hey, it's my first time ever doing this thing. And then people would be like, here's four things you can do better. And I was like, oh, my God. And so I would have all these defense mechanisms come up that I didn't realize were defense mechanisms at all. I didn't even realize all the microexpressions that I was putting out there. Mm -hmm. And so what I found is that there were people in my life who I thought were very close to me, who loved me, cared about me a lot, and they regularly found themselves like afraid to say stuff to me because they didn't want to upset me. Like they just sort of saw me as this kind of emotionally fragile person. I didn't see myself that way at all. But the human element, and this is actually, so I am licensed with the human element program and it's the foundation of most of the things that I do now. Mm -hmm. It creates these structured experiences that are designed to trigger emotions in people. Right. So to point back to what you're saying, really rough to go through. Yeah. I can see where the shattering comes through. <laughs> very powerful. So we, and, and one of the things we say about doing the work is like, nothing can go wrong in doing this work mm -hmm. because whatever happens, you can still use that to feel. And you can see me, I don't know if your viewers or listeners can like paying attention to the body, right? Like what is happening physiologically inside of me, even in these experiences that I know are structured. Like they'll literally hear me give the direction to the partner to, you know, look at them in a particular way or speak to them mm -hmm. in a particular way. They hear it. They know that it's quote unquote fake and they still have a reaction in their body to it. Mm -hmm. So the work is designed to help people become far more aware of what their own triggers are and what the stories in their head are. And like you were mentioning before, right? With like emotional intelligence, mm -hmm. the more I'm aware of my own emotions, the better chance I have to effectively regulate them. Mm -hmm. And then I love to go even deeper and help them figure out like, well, what's the story that drives that emotional reaction in the first place? You know, for me, 
And it took me a couple more years of work to figure this out, but I somehow had this story in my head that I wasn't worthy of love if I was doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Like that I had to constantly prove that I was doing things right and then I could be worthy of love. Um, so surfacing that kind of bullshit, like that distortion helps people. Don't worry, you can swear. I have an explicit Cool. Rating. All right, guys. Very good. That's the for me. Bullshit. And, and, then we can, and then we can write it to be not even more accurate. I don't even care about accurate. That's the other weird thing about this work. I don't mm-hmm. care so much what's true. I care what's useful. Oh, so, I love that. Yeah, because we don't know what's true in a lot of cases. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we've learned a lot. And I'm a scientist. I'm a highly trained scientist, and I am incredibly skeptical of science. I think it can teach us a lot, but you know what? Science is still conducted by humans who have their own egos and their own defensiveness. And trust me, as soon as I stepped into the world of like, oh, what does it look like to get published? I was like, oh, yeah, no, this is a bunch of bullshit, too. So, yeah, oh science God, is great. Nodding, like a bobblehead. <laughs> Right now. She's like, yes, my in biology. So, okay. Yeah, <laughs> you kind of know that world. Like, you know, yeah. It's like, mm. yeah, people are just trying to get their publications. They want their tenure. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, well, what if the data say, well, what if you tweak the data here? What if you change your literature review to match what the data said? It's like, no, mm-hmm. this, no. What so, if you yeah. change um, your p value? Yeah. Oh, just my God. Just change significance. That's fine. This yeah. is totally what we want to going in. So, yeah, so we don't really know what's true in a lot of cases. And so the question that I prefer to ask myself and other people is, how does this belief serve you? And whatever your belief is, it serves you in some way. Like a lot of people be like, oh, it doesn't serve me at all. And I'm like, no, 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 it's serving you in some way. If you can't figure out how this belief is serving you, you'll never change it. Uh-huh. It's probably serving you on a subconscious level. So that's where I love to dig really deep with people. Oh my God, we need to get along so much. We need to Yes, please. I'll come visit you and split. I want to yeah. be it. <laughs> no, I like, I find that I do that with when I'm coaching too. Like I, people think one of the very, very first clients I ever worked with, you know, health and fitness. She had a health and fitness goal and she couldn't understand why some of her, she's having so much trouble changing some of her habits. And I was just like, what is, what does overeating get you? She's like, well, yeah. it just gets me to gain weight. And I'm like, no, 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 it's getting you something. And for so many of us, it's, it's comfort. It's something we can control. You know, there is something there. You just have exactly. to dig until you find it. Like even exactly. our most damaging behaviors, they are serving us in some yes. way. We just have to find out what that is. Yep. And it's usually on the subconscious level and it comes back to, and this is where I sound like the most cliche psychologist ever, but it really does come back to self-esteem. It comes back to my self-concept, which is how I see myself. And the simplest way that I like to explain self-esteem is how do I feel Mm -hmm. about my Mm self-concept? So I see myself in a particular way. Some of that's conscious, Mm -hmm. some of it's subconscious. And so my self-esteem is how I feel about this self-image that I have. Do I like this? Do I accept it? Do Mm -hmm. I hate it? And so the more I don't feel good about it, the more I'm going to find myself engaging in behaviors that on the surface seem very destructive to me, but Mm -hmm. they're actually trying to protect and preserve the self-concept. They're trying to boost something on that level. Mm -hmm. And I I love that you pivoted into self-esteem. I was actually, now that I hear that, I'm really interested to hear what you thought about that question I sent you because I did, I wrote a blog post a while back about how self-esteem is bullshit because I got so sick of hearing people define and and validate essentially their self-esteem by these, these essentially perfectionistic aspects. These are all the things that I've done that validate my worthiness. 
Like essentially that's how people were approaching self-esteem. And it was getting so frustrating to me because I was just like, you are, you are more than your credentials. You are more than your achievements. Like your failures have value. So if you're only ever, you know, validating your self-esteem by the things that have gone well and the achievements that you, the things that you've been successful in. And like, I I just got so frustrated. I was like, let's pivot to self-acceptance over self-esteem. So like, how, how do you feel about that? Well, so the, like the three, so the, all the work that I do now is based on this inside out model where self is at the core. And the three primary things at the self level for me are self-acceptance, mm-hmm. self-awareness, and self-accountability. So I don't talk about self-esteem as, at the core of mm-hmm. self. But it kind um, of I, encompasses all of that? Yeah. So okay. and I actually don't, the way that I view self-esteem now uh, is it's extremely similar to self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. So I think what you're talking about with your blog post is uh, what I think is a fundamental misunderstanding of what self-esteem is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when people talk about like the trophy generation, right? Mm-hmm. Like we want kids to feel great about themselves. Everybody gets that trophy. And then we've got the older generation that's like, oh my God, these millennials, they're so entitled, which every generation. <laughs> that about every generation younger than them like that's well documented i don't really like the generation bullshit you can't tell Mm -hmm. um you have some opinions about those words personality and generation yeah (laughs) (laughs) you don't want to keep track these are the words Laura does not like i also want you could throw that up there um so for me self-esteem and self-acceptance it's like i mean the simplest way is like i'm not special and that's okay So, no, I don't need a participation trophy. Yeah, I'm okay keeping score at a sports game. The fact that I didn't win everything or that I struck out a bat or, you know, that, yeah, not everybody in school knows my name, like, that's okay. So Mm -hmm. it's about being okay with what is, being okay with who I am exactly as I am right now. And that terrifies most people because they think that that means I'm saying don't grow don't improve don't change and they're like oh that's complacency and I'm like it's not Mm -mm. so self-acceptance and self-improvement people think that they're on opposite ends of a continuum false yes it's actually x y it's an axis and somebody can be high on self-acceptance and high on self-improvement and actually they're the most badass when they're high on both so yes. yeah. <laughs> the idea of I can be completely okay with who I am right now in this moment. I can actually feel really good about every, everything to do with who I am, where I am, all of my flaws, all my mistakes, and I can still work very actively to grow and improve. And in fact, the more that I accept myself, the easier that growth process is. So when people beat up on themselves and they don't accept themselves and they're really hard on themselves, that's like trying to climb a ladder with somebody kicking you in the face. Whereas, that's a great analogy. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like with self-acceptance, I can climb that ladder and I've got somebody like pushing up on my ass, you know, like, there you go. Like I'm going to give you a boost. And that, that to me, that's a fundamental difference. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I can help people understand that, that tends to be a breakthrough. So like for any of your listeners, I wonder if they're still grappling with that or if they're like, I bet they are. You know, I feel like there's a lot of people who are motivated to grow, but those things are, those things are at odds. They feel like, you know, I can't, you know, like I I always come back to health and fitness because it's so easy for people to wrap their brains around, but like this whole embrace your body, you know, your curves are sexy. Like let's embrace all body types. Yes. Like I'm, I'm, 
I love that because that's self-acceptance. Like mm-hmm. you, you can love the skin you're in and your body type and your current weight, but still be trying to get healthier. Like yes. I feel like that's that's a perfect example of like you. It's not mutually exclusive. Exclusive. Just because you want to get healthier, just because you want to make that progress there, doesn't mean you hate yourself now. Because I don't think we can get anywhere starting from self hatred. Yeah, and I think the biggest myth with self esteem and self improvement is. Mm-hmm. I will accept myself when. Uh, no, you won't. No, you won't. If you don't do it right now with all of your flaws, right now, I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how hot your husband is. I don't care how much weight you've lost. Whatever accomplishment you're going for, you're going to get there and you're still not going to accept yourself. Mm-hmm. It is a choice that I can make, you can make, and people mm-hmm. listening can make literally right now. Like mm-hmm. just choose it. And for me, it's a choice that I make regularly. And I absolutely like fall off the wagon in terms of beating myself up and feeling not good enough. I'm like, oh my God, scarcity mindset. Like I'm actually getting ready to do a TED talk in a few weeks and I'm like trying to write my oh, script. That's so exciting. <laughs> I I posted this thing on Facebook last night when I was working on it. I think it was like some kind of shark costume from a Katy Perry halftime show at a Super Bowl and he's like flailing and the meme is like I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm like that's me trying to write my TED talk. I've been watching so many TED talks and I have massive imposter syndrome. I'm like Mm -hmm. what what could I possibly say at a TED talk you know Mm -hmm. so I feel it too like that's the other thing that I want people to understand is that I don't want people to shoot for perfectionism in this game either (laughs) like Yes, I fall off of self-acceptance and I beat myself up and I feel not good enough, but I recognize when it's happening. And so my goal is how quickly can I recover? Mm-hmm. How quickly can I get back to, I'm okay mm-hmm. and I'm enough. And that's not going to stop me from trying to grow and get better. It mm-hmm. actually makes it easier for me to take that path. Mm-hmm. I love that. Oh, so, so that was one of your, your three pillars. There's another one, self-accountability, you said, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I like, I didn't realize that was one of the three pillars and I was just like, Oh, accountability. That is like one of my new favorite topics right now because I just read 12 week year because I am mm-hmm. like, I really want to like capitalize on the end of the year right here. I've got a little accountability group in my remote year community. I'm trying to get one going on Facebook, but essentially like he said, like a lot of people look at accountability, just the phrase accountability as this sort of like, if I don't achieve my goals, if I don't do what I say I'm going to do, I need to punish myself or I need other people to hold me accountable so they can punish me if I don't do what I said I wanted to do. And he's like, that's not accountability. No. Like, yeah. So could, could you speak on how self-accountability kind of, kind of plays into this whole triad here? Yeah. So for me, there's a lot wrapped up in here. Um, The first thought that I had as you were speaking is to me, accountability is always future focused. And I want to like let that sit for a second because I think a lot of people look at accountability broadly as we need to figure out who to blame. If we don't know who to blame or we don't know who to point our finger at and go, hey, you're not good enough, then we don't have accountability. But accountability is future focused. So if you're not in the context of trying to cultivate accountability, thinking about what is going to be the most likely way that this person is accountable moving forward or what's the best way that I can be accountable moving forward. Then I think you have a very flawed perspective looking at it right off the bat. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing that I would say. Um, For me, self-accountability really comes down to recognizing choice. 
we have well, power of choice comes in, huh? Yes, power of choice. Exactly. <laughs> it's coming together. <laughs> I, love I say stuff and it makes sense. Um, so you have a very so, cohesive message. I'm just gonna throw oh, that out there right now. Thank you. I've been working on it for a lot of years. And um, we have way more choice than we realize. Mm -hmm. And I, I usually like to point to the extremely simple examples. Like, so you're doing remote year. Um, were you in Hanoi? No, we did uh, South America and Europe. Okay, and okay. Yeah, we didn't go. Okay. <laughs> so I was in Hanoi in April and I really struggled in Hanoi. Um, I think largely because it was extremely gloomy and I am a sunshine kind of person. Mm -hmm. um, Hence Florida. Literally in terms of weather. Florida and Phoenix. Anyway, so yes, I love the sun. And so I was just like really cranky. The Wi-Fi in my apartment wasn't working well. I was doing these crazy early meetings to try to catch people on like the evening hours of the East Coast because it was like a 12 hour difference. So it's seven in the morning and I rush over to this cafe that's right next to my apartment to try to use their Wi-Fi. And it's even a little bit misting and raining. So I like move tables again. And so I'm sitting trying to like be undercover <clears throat> and I'm on this video call. And a gentleman who worked at the cafe was cleaning the floor outside there in the patio. And to do this, he was scraping the chairs. He was moving the chairs, dragging them back. And it was just the loudest, worst, like, <laughs> and then he would sweep. <laughs> that was a perfect impression. <laughs> over and over and over. And I just feel myself like, kind of like gritting my teeth. And mm -hmm. the person I'm talking to is like, what is that noise? And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so, this is so unprofessional. So frustrated. Mm -hmm. So later that day, I'm talking with Blair in my program, who happens to love Hanoi, right? Like he's having a great time. And I was telling him, I was complaining, which is not an effective use of time. I actually love to challenge myself to go a full 24 hours without complaining until it just becomes my life of no complaining. <laughs> and I'm explaining what's happening. And he said, did you ask him to stop? <laughs> I was just like, no. Like it hadn't even occurred to me. Mm -hmm. It had not even occurred to me to ask him, could he please do that in 20 minutes? Now, I had all kinds of self-talk, right? So people listening might be like, well, sure, he's just doing his job. Like, it's what he's got to do. But what's important to me, though, is I preach about choice. It's one of my core values, as you know. And I completely lost sight of the fact that I even had a choice to try to make a change in the environment that was making me so unhappy. I was a complete victim of my circumstances. Mm -hmm. But I like that story because it's recent and it makes me feel like, oh shit, I'm embarrassed because this is the crap I do. Like, I, I literally did something exactly like that this morning. Yeah? We have this like massively high-tech dishwasher in our kitchen and I could not figure out how to work it. And one of my roommates, she doesn't, she doesn't wash dishes in the dishwasher. She washes them by hand. Um, and so I'm kind of like, going, oh my God, this thing is so high tech. It's like too high tech for its own good. I can't figure out how to make it work. And you, in my mind, that's me being like, hey, come help me. Um, but her response was, yeah, I don't use dishwashers. And I got really, really irritated. <laughs> yeah. I didn't pick up on my ask. And then I went to my room like a couple minutes later and I was just like, you didn't ask her. You can't yes. be irritated that she didn't read your mind. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's a great example. And we do that all the time and people, and then, you know, people want to argue with that. They're like, well, social cues or this or that, but all those things are just, they're just excuses, mm -hmm. right? So getting people to realize that they have the choice. Mm -hmm. Now, if they don't make the choice, 
okay. Mm -hmm. I don't want to judge you making the choice or not, but just recognizing mm -hmm. that I have a choice that I, I, yes, I could have asked him, can you please do that later? Mm -hmm. Or can you pick up the chairs as you move them? Now, I don't speak Vietnamese. I didn't know if you spoke English, but these are all the stories in my head mm -hmm. that caused me to just not even consider it as an option. So to me, self-accountability, first of all, is incredibly sexy. Anybody that shows up in a self-accountable way, I'm like, ooh, I like this. <laughs> um, <laughs> my ex-boyfriend would always say that. He's like, my girlfriend thinks self-accountability is sexy. I'm like, yes, I do. People and, say confidence is sexy. She thinks accountability is sexy. What? Well, <laughs> They're so related though, Ellen, yeah, like, so true. Master Ellen, they're so <laughs> related, right? It's like, I, if I don't feel good about myself, then yeah, I'm going to blame the guy for doing his job and making all that noise. And I'm going to argue and deflect against Blair saying to me, did you ask him to stop? Right. Mm -hmm. If I don't feel good about myself, I'm going to get defensive. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go, well, I don't speak Vietnamese. I don't think he even spoke English. Like he's just doing his job. I'm just an American. Like I'm sitting there in his, you know, cafe. Like I can't tell him what to do or how to do his job. I can have like all those types of defensive reactions, but I'm only going to do that if I don't feel good about myself. If I don't accept myself, if I don't have strong enough self-esteem. Mm -hmm. So to me, self-accountability is highly, highly correlated with genuine confidence. I totally agree. When he said that to me, because I like to think of myself as a confident person and somebody mm -hmm. who has more what I call real confidence versus the bravado that I had when I was 27, walking into that five-day human element workshop, like, I'm great, life's great. Now it's like, I'm so much more okay with all my flaws and imperfections. I still work on it. I still get defensive. Again, the goal here is not perfection, it's progress, which mm -hmm. I make progress. But when I feel I okay- Back to the core values all the yeah. time. <laughs> When I feel okay about who I am, it's so much easier for me to show up in a way that's self-accountable. Mm -hmm. I can be in a conversation with somebody where we're trying to resolve a problem and maybe in my head, I think it's 80% their fault and 20% my fault. But in that moment, all I do is take accountability for my part. And I don't throw out numbers like 80% and 20% because that in and of itself is inflammatory, <laughs> but I can just own my shit. Mm -hmm. Like no matter what, no matter what this person is doing, whether they're accountable or not, I can show up and I can say, listen, I realized in this situation, had I done X or Y differently, maybe this could have gone better. And I'm sorry that I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And there's no but. Don't say I'm sorry, but that's the worst. Ugh. There's no but. Yes. It's just I'm sorry. And that person can be a total asshole still. Or most of the time, honestly, what happens when I show up with self accountability, they do too. It's not mm -hmm. a silver bullet, but it is kind of magical, actually. Mm -hmm. We, we do this thing with our clients called the self-accountability circle, and it is epic. It is the coolest thing in the world where we get teams together where they've had a problem or some kind of failure that they obviously think is worth spending the time on. Mm -hmm. And they go around in a circle and each person says, what is something that they did? How do we ask it? It's very specific. What did you do to prevent a solution to the problem? Oh my God. I'll say it again. What did you do to prevent a solution to the problem? And so what we're doing there with that question is we're not just asking people like, how did you contribute directly to it? But we're helping people realize that even through inaction, they allowed that problem to happen because that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. So go, well, that's not my job or, well, I'd say something, but she got mad at me last time. So I'm just going to remember. And so that can transform cultures too. When people, because that's what every leader says they want. They want that ownership mentality, right? They say that they want people to 
come together and look at everything in the organization holistically and feel like if that department over there fails, then I failed too. And so I want us to all succeed. Mm -hmm. We just have to get over our interpersonal fears to say some of this shit out loud. But yeah, so self-accountability is about choice and always looking at what is my part and what can I do now? Mm -hmm. So what are some other, I can say about it, but yeah, <laughs> I feel like this could be a three hour podcast if we I like, like, I don't want to stop talking, but I'm like, I keep glancing over at the clock. I'm like, Hey, we're still, we're still good. Um, <laughs> uh, did you, did you need to, to leave at all for, I'm, I'm good calendar wise. Okay, okay yeah. cool. Because, yeah, I feel like we're going to go a little past what we, what we scheduled, so I wanted to double check. <laughs> what was the third piece? So we had self-awareness, self-accountability, and then what was the third piece? So self-acceptance that we talked about. Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah, self-acceptance. So self-awareness so self is the one we haven't touched on yet then. So could you talk a little bit about the self-awareness piece? Or, and this kind of ties into emotional intelligence. And, and what Absolutely. Else. Yeah. Yeah, so... I mean, it all, it all feels foundational, but I guess to me, self-awareness is really what enables everything. Mm -hmm. So in the example I was just talking about with self-accountability, you know, if Blair says, well, did you ask him to stop? And I have all these defensive reactions. What's happening to me is I'm defending against something subconsciously. Mm -hmm. I won't even know. Like when I have that reaction, when humans have that reaction, it's this really fast biological, you probably know more about that than I do, <laughs> biological response. You know, we have this very strange fight or flight reaction even in interpersonal conversations because we're very tribal creatures we depend on each other but I won't know what I'm defending against mm -hmm. there's something happening for me in here there's some kind of physiological reaction my self-concept insecurity has been triggered but if I don't know what that is and I certainly can't change it all I can do is try to recover faster from my defensiveness but self-awareness to me is multiple levels so in that example one of the first levels would be like do I notice defensiveness getting triggered at all because a lot of people get defensive, don't realize they're defensive, they can completely rationalize their reaction to everything. So that would be like, that's like step one, right? Admitting you have a problem. <laughs> like, I know what you're saying. One of my clients is gonna listen to this and she's gonna die because I say her all the time. I'm like, here's the first step. It is. She's just gonna die. <laughs> yeah, it so totally is. So that's like literally the first level. Like we have this signs of defensiveness survey. In fact, I'll be happy to um, share a link with you if you want. Oh yeah, I'd love that. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, so it's a signs of defensiveness survey. It's one page and it has all these different ways that defensiveness can show up. So you get to really be honest with yourself and take a look at it and go, okay, what are some signs of defensiveness that I might exhibit? If you're honest with yourself, you probably check off at least about 75, 80% of them. Um, and then I say, cool, pick your three favorites. Like, what are your go-tos? Like, what are the most common signs for you that you're mm -hmm. defensive, that you've gotten triggered? That in and of itself can raise self-awareness. But of course, I love to go super, super deep with people mm -hmm. and figure out not just the sign of defensiveness, but what is it that you're actually defending against? Because what people don't understand about defensiveness is I'm not defending myself against you or anybody else. I'm not defending myself against anything externally in the context of psychological defensiveness as I'm talking about it now. I am defending myself against internal feelings I don't wanna feel, right? So if I can deflect, you know, and I, I'll, Honestly, I handled Blair's comment extremely well. And I had the like this, oh shit moment when he was like, did you ask him to stop? I was like, oh my God, and that occurred to me. Wow, thank you. Um, <laughs> I but, love people like that who they can, it's like, it's like they call you on your shit, but they do it in this way that it's, it doesn't, 
I mean, in some people it might, you know, pull out that defensiveness as you kind of gave an example of earlier, but they do it in a, in a way that you can really take it with a, like a grain of salt and you can really get reflective almost instantaneously without feeling like they're calling you out. You know, the difference there I think is judgment. Mm -hmm. Is somebody calling me out with judgment Mm -hmm. or are they just making an observation and offering me something that they think can help me. Mm-hmm. And most of us don't realize how often we judge mm-hmm. and when we're judging. So that was another thing for me that I learned, you know, around 27 years old when I took the human element workshop is how often I didn't realize I actually was judging people as I was giving them feedback that I thought was super helpful. Mm-hmm. Why would they get mad at me? They say they want feedback. I'm giving them feedback. Why are they getting mad? And it's like, yeah, shit. Part mm-hmm. of me was judging them. You know, and that sucks. Nobody likes that. Nobody yeah. likes to feel that kind of judgment. So to come back to defensiveness, I, when we're defensive, we're defending against the internal feelings that we don't want to feel. Mm-hmm. And so if I'd gotten defensive, when Blair pointed that out, it would have been, the framework I use is FIRO theory. So it could have been that I thought um, he was implying that I was insignificant, incompetent, or unlovable or unlikable, if you don't like the love word. Sometimes in companies, they like the likable word better. I'm like, that's fine, whatever, it's all the same. Um, and so whatever insecurity might get triggered there, I, my body and my brain work so hard to prevent me from feeling pain mm-hmm. that I don't feel those things at all. They're completely suppressed and pushed down and what comes out is a pure defensive reaction. So the deeper level of self-awareness work that I do is helping people use that framework and use tools and use structured experiences that are designed to trigger insecurities around significance, competence, and likability. So they can figure out like what, what is, where's sort of their home? Like where do they kind of live in fear? And where do they feel okay? We move around. It's not like we all just have one source of insecurity, but most of us do have one thing that triggers us more than the rest. Mm-hmm. And then we do the deeper work too. This is super cliche psychologist, I love it. Like, let's go back to childhood. For real though, like honestly, like when was the first time you were feeling this way? Because what happens to us when we're kids imprints on our brain in a way that it's just now wired in our brain. We can rewire it, but we have to know that it's there. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like a program that's running on your computer, just like in the background, and you don't even know that it's running. Mm-hmm. So sometimes your computer's acting really weird and you're like, well, what the hell? I'm wanting it to do X, it keeps doing Y, like what's going on here? So our subconscious mind works in the same way. So our childhood experiences imprint in us these distortions, which create insecurity, and that's what we defend against. So when I talk about self-awareness, I'm talking about that kind of depth and not just like, it's good to know your strengths and weaknesses. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, sure, of course, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But when I talk about helping somebody create a fundamental change in how they show up in the world, if we don't go to that level of depth, if we don't uncover the beliefs that are driving their behavior in the first place, they're never going to change for more than a little bit at a time. They'll relapse. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to change only the outer shell, but all the inner workings are still the same. It's like you're mm-hmm. fighting against yourself. So I help people go really deep so they can uncover that stuff, write the story the way that actually serves them on a conscious level, and then move forward in a way where they feel calmer, they feel more in control, and more fulfilled, honestly. Like, life's just better, I think, when we're genuinely more self-aware. Damn right. Oh. like bobblehead nodding again all right (laughs) so um something you say on your website which i feel like this is kind of a good kind of a good wrap-up to everything that we've discussed today is you say get your edge of the competition by growing from the inside out so in your opinion 
what's the best, most intentional way that we as individuals, teams, organizations, you know, whatever, can find our edge and grow ourselves from the inside out. Loaded, so, I like to ask loaded questions. Yeah, well, I, I actually have a guide um, that your listeners can, <laughs> can download if they we want. We didn't plan this, but she had a guide. <laughs> I believe it, and I really, really want people to, to get this. So I have a guide. Um, I'll be happy to send you the link for it. Um, it's just gallaheredge.com slash three steps. Um, so it's really, it's like three steps to level up and to, to grow in this way, to grow from the inside out. And I build specifically on those three things. I build on self-acceptance, self-awareness, and self-accountability. Um, so if I try to keep it super high level and not like vomit out the entire content, of the guy, <laughs> I would say that the very first step is some kind of mantra about how you're okay mantra. and you're enough. And what you're doing here, and I don't care how cheesy it sounds, okay? This is just real people, this works. This is, you're, you're trying to create the psychological safety in your own mind that gives you the courage to explore and go deep. Cause this shit is scary and it's hard. I have discovered all kinds of things about myself that I have not enjoyed uncovering in the process of uncovering it. But then I'm so grateful that I found out these things about how my brain works because then I can change it mm -hmm. and I can be more the way that I want to. So starting with self-acceptance is what can create the courage to go deeper into self-awareness and in the guide, I focus specifically on the power of choice. Because growing from the inside out, it's all choice. Mm -hmm. You can choose to do it, you can choose not to do it. Um, so whatever situation somebody finds themselves in, if they're wanting to get unstuck or they're wanting to level up, asking two primary questions. What choices have I made to be exactly where I am? So that's the self-accountable part to a large degree. And then the second piece is, what choices am I going to make now to create the world that I want, or create the life that I want, or create the relationship that I want, whatever it may be. So for me, that's really the shortest way I can summarize that process of bringing in self-acceptance, self-awareness, and self-accountability. So it's looking at all the choices that I've already made, and then making a conscious choice about how I want to move forward. And Sometimes people uncover all the things they could do and it terrifies them. Mm -hmm. Like power of choice is actually very scary for a lot of people at first. The overwhelming, I bet. It can be very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And, but what really makes it empowering is when we, again, we let go of self-judgment. If I believe that I choose everything, then I'm like, oh shit, I've made a lot of bad choices, <laughs> right? Like, you mean this stuff didn't just happen to me? Um, <laughs> but like, what what I had a role in what happened? Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> but like judging myself, that's a choice too. Mm -hmm. I can choose to judge myself or I can choose to not judge myself, which comes back to that self-acceptance. So for me, they just, they kind of beautifully like circle and cycle. Mm -hmm. And so this three-step process is something that anybody can implement in whatever is happening in their life to help them break out of that and see how they can create what they really want. Oh, love. I'm literally going to go download this after we wrap up this conversation. I don't have anything else on the, on the docket for the rest of the day. So in addition to this guide, what other services do you offer to, to individuals and companies to help them find their edge? So the biggest thing I've been doing this year, like I alluded to before, is we have this uh, membership site called Insider Edge. 
And so we do brand new content every week. We keep it really short. Like I know how busy you guys are. I know, I know people, we're all really busy. It's like the number one answer to how are things going? Oh, I'm really busy. Lack of time. Yep, you're busy. Yeah, cool. Get it. But you know what? Screw that. Like invest in yourself and five minutes. I ask for five minutes a day. And if you can't give me five minutes a day, give me five minutes a week. So Insider Edge, we do brand new videos every week, usually right around the five minute mark, sometimes as short as like two and a half. And it's just these reinforcing concepts. And then you can sign up for the challenge every week so that every day you'll get a, an email in your inbox that says, here's your challenge for today. And that is also gonna take no more than five minutes. So it's a way to just, it's a journey, right? Personal development, personal growth, it's a journey, not an event. So the membership site is designed for that. So that's one of the biggest things we've been doing this year. And then of course I still do um, executive coaching. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and I still do work with executive teams. So workshops are my favorite, um, coming in, working with teams, helping them become more self-aware, grow their team cohesion. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh my gosh, Ugh. so much good stuff. Seriously, you have so much knowledge and so much great like insights to offer people. I'm so happy we connected on oh, my, um, the last gal that I interviewed, Nicole, she told me she's like, post on Slack, post in the general channel, see who reaches out. And I'm just like blown away by the people who have reached out and like, God, this has been, awesome uh i want to keep talking to you but obviously you have things to do i have things to do people probably don't want to listen to an hour and a half long <laughs> um so i have a couple wrap-up questions that i like to ask people yeah. um and the first one which you've kind of already given a number of resources in this podcast of things that helped you along your journey but if you had to pick a book a ted talk program a seminar whatever that has been most helpful to you along your journey what would that be I feel like I know what you might say, but. <laughs> yeah, well, so absolutely the human element. <laughs> the work of the human element's been huge. Um, so I'm not the only provider of that. We do offer human element workshops, and my favorite is to bring that into organizations, but there are lots of licensed providers, not even just in the United States, but globally. Um, human element was absolutely transformational for me. Um, I love Brene Brown. Yes. So if listeners don't know who Brene Brown is. Oh, no, they know. I talk about her all the time. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, so gosh, like both of her TED talks are absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. She has a, a six hour audio piece on Audible called Powerful, Powerful Vulnerability. So, yep. oh, yeah. So it's named similar to her TED talk. Um, and it's, it's actually her in a workshop environment, which is great because she does so well interacting with people. Mm -hmm. And there's obviously like times when they go do some exercise and obviously they cut that out. So it's anytime she's like up there, I'm picturing at the podium mm -hmm. and she's delivering. So it's six hours of just like mind blowing. Oh my God. She talks about the guideposts to wholehearted living. Mm -hmm. um, so that was amazing for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so then how you brought that up. I think I tried to yeah. say this, but our audio kind of went wonky there for a second. Um, yeah. Literally my favorite piece of personal development ever. And she, I feel like what Brene Brown does that so many people struggle with in the context, context of speaking is she interlaces these incredible personal stories that are so relatable and then drops these like epic truth bombs at the yes. end. So she's cracking you up with her personal stories and then drawing all of this incredible emotion and, and all of these, these lessons out of it. And I think that's in that one in particular, I feel like that's what she does so well. It's my favorite. Yes. So I'm very, very happy you brought that up. Awesome. Yeah, she is so great. She's definitely a personal hero of mine. Um, and then a book that I can recommend that I think is extremely useful and pragmatic and also goes into the self-awareness. So it was written by a, um, a judge, 
who was <laughs> to arbitrate um, labor negotiations in school districts mm -hmm. in California, and a psychotherapist. So these guys got together and they wrote this book and it's called Radical Collaboration. And it's also a three-day workshop, which is amazing. And so what it teaches is how to do very practical interest-based problem solving and negotiation and bringing in how self-awareness can help everybody be more effective in that realm. Oh, love it. I'm going to like literally check out all of these things. I am like, I want to start going to seminars. So I might have to look up the, all that, that human, uh, human, what was it called? Human element. Human element. Human element. That's wrong. Um, <laughs> yes, perfect. Thank you. Like that was all the resources, even more than you already provided. Okay, so last question is ultimately where can people find you? You know, social media, LinkedIn, your website. Yeah. Uh, my website is probably the best place. So gallaheredge.com. And it is Gallagher and not Gallagher. So mm -hmm. <laughs> like we talked about the title of the podcast if you're unsure of how to spell her name. Yeah. <laughs> so and actually, I was kind of smart when I bought the domain. I bought not only gallaheredge.com, but I bought gallageredge.com. So even if you type it in wrong, it'll redirect. <laughs> oh, that is smart. Nice. Yeah. Um, so if you go there, uh, you know, my biggest ask is join my mailing list because I do a podcast too called Expand Your Edge and um, I have a blog and so every week I'm putting out something new for free podcast mm -hmm. or blog and then of course we have the paid content on Insider Edge mm -hmm. which you can also link to from my main website so yeah I would say go to gallaheredge.com there's a way you can also um, email me directly from the website beautiful beautiful and yeah she's got all the content to offer and so the fact that you offer that much free content is amazing so thanks. Well, I really do want to get this stuff out to the world. Yes. Yes. So many people can benefit from like even a piece of this. Like obviously if you do it as a package, like of all three components and everything that you talked about, like that is going to be beyond transformational. But even if you just like one thing from this podcast, I feel like could be insanely beneficial to somebody's life. So thank awesome. you so much. Dr. Thank you. Laura, Master, <laughs> Master Ellen. <laughs> all the knowledge dropping today. <laughs> if today's show was interesting to you, let me know. Hop on Instagram at the Growth Tribe Podcast or leave me a review. It truly makes all the difference to hear from you guys. And at the end of the day, you're my tribe. I want to be sure I'm delivering content that you're interested in hearing about. So head on over to all those places where podcasts are found, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and drop a review. And if you're really digging what you're hearing, subscribe. Thanks so much for listening and thank you my friend for being a part of the Growth Tribe.